And I think Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams need to sit him down and be like, Ricky, thank you for getting us to this point. We wouldn't be to this point without you. You've been influential. You've got the guys fired up. Everybody respects you. We're going to go in a different direction. Thank you for joining me every Sunday morning at 11 here on 88.7 FM WLUW. Got an hour uninterrupted of your favorite small town kid. Go to the Loyola Phoenix, Nick Schultz. I know Sister Gene pretty well. I think he's the sports editor there. He is. He's right. a sports he's editor. Yeah. Sports good, columnist, sports writer. Uh, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't watching baseball in class. Nick Schultz, who is a, a rising star in the profession. Our guy, Nick Schultz, covers... Oil for the student newspaper there, the oil of Phoenix. I have to keep pinching myself <laughs> and asking if this is real. I cannot believe this is happening. I'm a poor, starving college student, so I would say I was physically here, but I wouldn't say I was mentally here. Well, this isn't how I envisioned doing the show this week, but you know what? We're going to do the best we can with what we've got here because uh, I had some live issues getting the show started. So we're going to go ahead and do a podcast form of the Sunday Sports Shootout on WLUW 88.7 FM. I'm your host, Nick Schultz. Thank you for joining me. And again, we were looking for the live show today. was having some issues with my microphone connecting to the server and... I didn't feel like waiting around to figure it out because the Bears kicked off at noon and this podcast is going to come out after kickoff, like just like it would for a normal show. I'm doing everything as I would normally, just with a couple minutes shorter, because I still had a lot I wanted to talk about this week. And I, I am sad I couldn't do a live show, but I'm perfectly fine doing a podcast version of the show because, like I said, it's it's a busy week and it's a big week for me especially because uh, we could have started the show easily with uh, Randy Travis's hit, I Told You So, because that's what happened. I told you so. So news came out on Monday that Ricky Renteria is being let go by the White Sox. It was a mutual decision, is what it said in the press release, and I'm doing air quotes. And it was just very interesting to me that that was the wording they used. Because, I mean, I've been vocal the last... I feel like a broken record. I keep saying it every week. I've been very vocal that Ricky Renteria is not the guy to take the White Sox to the promised land. And I think Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams have finally realized that. You heard me say that in the intro to the show. That's how I started the show. I said that a week before this news came out. That Ricky Renteria needed to have a conversation with Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams. And they needed to say... We're not bringing you back. And that's what happened. So here we are. The White Sox are going through a managerial search. I'm going to get to all that. Also, why is Tony LaRusso's name coming up in this? I have a lot of thoughts on that as well. Missouri Valley Conference preseason poll dropped this week. And since it's Loyola Student Station, it's my alma mater. I want to talk about it because I do have a lot of thoughts on that as well. Loyola's picked second. I'm seeing a lot of parallels to 2018 here. 
and I hope you remember what happened in 2018. The NBA Finals wrapped up last week. The Lakers won. They beat the Miami Heat convincingly in the last game. It was game six. And the GOAT debate is back on because LeBron won his fourth title. But don't get me wrong. I've got a lot to contribute to that as well. And if you know me, you know my thoughts on the GOAT debate between LeBron James and Michael Jordan. And I also have some help with this from an unlikely source. And it's something you wouldn't expect out of a 22-year-old kid. But it's I'm going to have some fun with this segment. And last but not least, Bears-Panthers is today. Obviously, this podcast is going to drop after the game. But I do want to talk about it again. I'm acting like it's a normal show for this week. Just because, again, when you're, when you're working remotely, there's going to be technical difficulties. And that's exactly what happened this week. We had some technical errors. But... I'm going to try to act business as usual here. Again, right now it is 11.14 on Sunday morning recording this. Again, I'm acting like it's live. So I apologize if you were trying to tune into the live show today. We're doing the best we can with what we've got here. And like I said, I had a lot I wanted to get off my chest this week. So the fact that we couldn't have a live show, I'm sitting here going, okay, I've got the next 45 minutes free before the Bears game. I want to talk into a microphone about this. And that's exactly what I'm going to do. So I hope you indulge me. And since this is just on the podcast, I can ask you to rate it, subscribe to it, tell your friends about it, Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have any ideas for a a segment you want or if you want to contribute, like shoot me a tweet, shoot me a DM. My DMs are open at Nick Schultz underscore seven. I promise I do read DMs and I check Twitter pretty regularly. If you know me, I'm always on Twitter. So feel free to contact me. I'm going to try to have some fun with this. So I want to start with the White Sox, obviously, considering I almost started right into it as I was setting up the show. Ricky Renteria is out, and even more surprising, so is Don Cooper, the pitching coach of 18 years. He's, uh, he's out as well. And that was another thing I threw out there at one point when I was talking about changes the White Sox would make. And I, I'm glad it happened because, I mean, Don Cooper, <laughs> Don Cooper is the best soundbite in town. Like, I can distinctly remember listening to him on, oh, God, what, what which score show was that when he said that uh, Gary Crochet can throw the bleep out of a fastball on live air. He's the best soundbite in town. So I'm going to miss that. I'm going to miss hearing him. Mouth off, oh, you know, the White Sox, we got to go out there. We got to throw the fastball. We got to go. We got to do the best we can to beat these teams. And I know I've been around a while. I don't believe in that analytics BS. I'm going to miss Don Cooper. And that was more surprising to me than Ricky going. Because it was more so, it was more so the holy crap they did it than it was, wow, they didn't need to make a change. Because they did. I mean, that rotation should have been better and these young guys that are coming in should have been better Dylan Cease should be one of the best pitchers on that team and I say one of because he's not going to be he's not going to top Lucas Giolito and I think Dallas Keuchel needs to be even better too and if you're in the front office suite you need to be looking at that as okay that's on my pitching coach so was it a shock that Coop's out yeah should it have been? Probably not. But remember who you're dealing with here. It's Jerry Reinsdorf. 
Mr. Loyalty. I mean, the problems the Bulls have had the last few years has been because Jerry Reinsdorf is very loyal. He's very loyal to his guys. That's why Gar Foreman stuck around for so long. I mean, it's Jerry. Now, both of his teams are making major changes and are now on a winning track. And yes, this means the White Sox have entered win-now mode. I tweeted that as soon as the news came out. The White Sox aren't sitting back here and saying, well, we made the playoffs this year. We didn't get in very we didn't get in on a winning streak. We didn't fly in. We kind of backed into the playoffs. But you know what? We were in there. We're gonna we'll be back next year. We're gonna keep everything the same. No, this is them seeing, okay, our manager made some questionable decisions at questionable times. And we don't want that to impact us in the future. So let's make a change. And also, we need to get more with the modern game. So we're going to get rid of our pitching coach of 18 years as well. I'm all for this. And I'm a Cubs fan. Like, I'm a Cubs fan at heart. But I want to see both teams in town do well. Because Chicago is a better sports town when both baseball teams are really good. And they have potential to be now. So now the search for a manager begins. And now we're left to wonder, okay, who are the candidates for the job? Well, the top candidates are A.J. Hinch and Alex Cora, who, if you heard me talk about it, I was it, was it last week or a couple weeks ago when I started talking about managers? I think it might have been last week. I started talking about them like, oh, they're cheaters because they steal signs. And then my dad called me out, and I used to steal signs as well, but I didn't use video cameras, so it was how they cheated. I don't have respect for cheaters in that regard. Again, I used to steal signs. Stealing signs is part of the game. My attitude on stealing signs is if you can pick up the signs with just your, your left eye and your right eye, if you're just looking at them and you can pick them up with your brain, okay, good for you. That means we got to get better signs. But if you're using technology, too far. Way, way, way too far. And that's why I have no respect for A.J. Hinch and Alex Cora in this situation. Granted, I believe that A.J. Hinch didn't fully know what was going on. But from what I understand, and I've listened to a lot of sports radio this week talking about A.J. Hinch, and I've read a lot about it. From what I understand, he knew there was something but didn't stop it which, to me, makes him equally complicit. So, yes, he's the top candidate. And would he probably be a good fit? Yeah. But I I, just, I can't get past it, at least right now. I know I heard, uh, I think it was Carmen DeFalco. He was asked, like, okay, what, are, what would you say to Sox fans who, if they hired A.J. Hinch, couldn't get past the cheating? He'd say, get over it. He served his time. I get that. But I'm also just... Once a cheater, always a cheater. And again, A.J. Hinch, it's different than Alex Cora, because Alex Cora was the bench coach on that Astros team. And then he and Carlos Beltran were kind of the ringleaders. Well, then Cora went to Boston and kind of kept things going. So comes down to it. If I had to choose between the two, I'm taking A.J. Hinch. But I can see why Alex Cora's name is in there. My one ha- my other hang I guess I can't say my one hang-up, but my, my other hang-up and this is something, it's something little, but it's big. And if someone knows the answer to this, like 
tweet at me, especially if you get this far in the podcast. Does A.J. Hinch speak Spanish? Because the Sox have a lot of Latino players, and I know one really, really good thing about Ricky Rectoria is he's fluent in Spanish, and he can communicate with those guys really easy and make them feel part of the community. If A.J. Hinch doesn't speak Spanish, that might be a knock against him, in my opinion. That's not like a make-or-break thing, I don't feel like, because, I mean, I'm fluent in Spanish. I learned it in classes. You can learn Spanish. And if he makes an effort to learn Spanish, like, that's okay. That's really, really great. I'm glad he's doing that. But if he's not willing to learn or if he just doesn't know it now and doesn't seem like he wants to learn it, that might be a big deal. Again, I don't know if it's necessarily make or break. Depends on what Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams are looking for. But that's something to keep in mind during the manager search because I, I think Alex Cora speaks Spanish. and I'm, One other name I'm going to bring up, I'm pretty sure he does too. Just something to keep in mind. My wild card candidate for the White Sox, and I say wild card because I don't know if the Indians will let him go, it's Sandy Alomar Jr. He's a future manager, no doubt about it. He's been in conversation for manager jobs over the years, and this year Terry Francona opted out of the season. So he managed the team and did a really good job, I'd say. So he kind of proved himself worthy of a manager job. So if the Indians are willing to let him go, because there's a lot of unknowns for next year, and I know Tito opted out because of health concerns. So if that's the case, they might want to keep him around if something happens next year. I know hopefully, and I I say hopefully, COVID-19 is gone by this time next year. But if for some reason something happens that the season's got to be truncated, if there's opt-outs, if something comes up, might not hurt to have him around to, to lead the team. But if they're willing to let him go, I think the White Sox should absolutely make a run at him. Because he's not the typical never-managed candidate in that, oh, well, he's never managed before, he's got to prove himself. In this case, he's proven himself. He did it this year of all years. I mean, this was a challenging year physically and mentally. I think we can all agree. And he led that Indians team to the playoffs when, frankly, I don't think he should have. Like, that team team had the makings to miss the playoffs, and they still got there. So I think he should absolutely be a candidate for the White Sox. And it's just, he's a wild card, because you don't know if they're going to let him go. But we'll see. For right now, A.J. Hinch is at the top of the list. Alex Cora is up there, too. You know who shouldn't be at the top of the list? <laughs> I have never heard his name so much on Chicago radio until this week. And I listen to both stations. Every day when I'm at work, if it's slow, and it really was this week because the weather's getting cold because I work at a golf course, I have my I have my AirPods in and listening to sports radio. I listen to both stations. 
I have never heard Tony LaRusso's name so many times on Chicago radio. I don't know what this is about. To give a little context, because it's all about context here. Ricky Renteria news broke on Monday, and everyone's thinking, okay, A.J. Hinch, Alex Cora, usual suspects. We kind of figured those would be the top two names. But then our old pal Bob Nightingale comes out, and in his report, he says, <laughs> it, it, was, it almost seemed like a joke that Tony La Russa is a candidate for the White Sox job. So the fact that he was even a candidate, like, okay, there were conspiracies about that. Like, is this Jerry trying to put a bad candidate out in front so when they eventually hire A.J. Hinge, people are like, okay, well, it's not Tony La Russa. And keep in mind, I have all the respect in the world for Tony La Russa. I mean, the guy's a proven, he's a Hall of Famer. He's a winner. Everywhere he goes, he wins, except when the Sox fired him in the 80s. Thanks, Hawk. That's a fun story. <laughs> but he's 77 years old. He hasn't managed since 2011. And this got brought up, I think it was on ESPN 1000. I think it was Jonathan Hood, ESPN 1000, brought it up. This isn't like, take this back 10 years. It's not like going from 2001 to 2010 without managing. The game has changed more in the last 10 years than the 10 years before it. If this was 10 years ago, yeah, you hire Tony LaRussa because the game hadn't, the game, it was still a similar game. Now, analytics. You've got bat flips. You've got change the game for the White Sox, especially. The game has changed so much off the field that I don't think Tony LaRussa would be a good, I don't think he'd be a good candidate. So that's just the knee jerk reaction. And then the next day, Bob Nightingale doubles down on this and says Tony LaRusse is the top candidate. And I hadn't seen this anywhere else, and everyone's saying, well, okay, this is Nightingale. Maybe maybe he is, like, there, maybe this is proving the conspiracy theory. Well, then other outlets started reporting the Sox got permission to interview Tony LaRusse. Now the conversation shifts from, okay, it's just Nightingale being Nightingale, to, holy crap, are they serious? If they're serious about bringing Tony LaRussa into the organization, which I think he'd be a good fit in the organization, don't bring him in as manager. Bring him in as an advisor. He and Jerry Reinsdorf are super close. And Jerry's even said one of his biggest regrets in baseball, if not his biggest regret, is letting Hawk Harrelson fire Tony LaRussa. Bring him in as an advisor. If you want to bring him in, bring him into the organization. Don't bring him in as manager. He's not a good fit right now. Again, a decade ago, absolutely. But right now, in 2020, no. He's not it. If this is a smokescreen for when they hire AJ Hinch, well done. If it's not, and this was serious consideration, we got issues, and it stems from higher up than Han and Kenny. But I think that's where we're at. So, A.J. Hinch needs to be the top candidate. It tastes like vinegar to say. Oh, which, by the way, speaking of the Astros, just banging on my banging on my garbage can here. Yeah, Rays are going to the World Series. Everybody bang on your garbage cans. Yeah, the Astros lost last night. I just wanted to celebrate that. 
real quick, speaking of AJ Hinch. So yeah, he's the top guy. And if if the front office is going for the best available, and they should be, go get AJ Hinch. Now that said, I, I, I feel bad for Ricky. I mean, he... This is the second time this has happened to him. He takes... This is the second team he's taken close and just got told, you're not the guy to get us there. Like, thanks for getting us to this point. We'll take it from here. Like, that's twice now. Like, that sucks. But it's what had to happen. It's absolutely what had to happen. Let's move on to the NBA. Because we are now at the bottom of the hour of what would have been a live show. But again, if you're tuning into the podcast here, obviously you saw my tweet that having some technical issues couldn't do a live show. So now I'm doing a podcast in the form of a live show. Just to simulate it. Because again, I had a lot I wanted to talk about this week. And this is the big thing with remote broadcasting. You're going to have issues. Well, I had some issues this week. So I'm calling it audible. And again, I hope, you, I hope you're tuning into the podcast. If you are and you've stuck around this long, thank you. Like, I really appreciate you indulging me and listening. And hopefully you'll tune into the live show next week. So I'm, I'm really going to try to book a guest. I've been falling behind on it. But thank you for listening. And while you're here, rate, subscribe, etc. I want to move on to the NBA before I get to Loyola basketball and the Bears game. Because... This is another debate that's going on that I want to talk about. The Lakers won the NBA Finals last week. LeBron's fourth. Anthony Davis is first. The Lakers 17th, which ties them for the most all-time with the Boston Celtics. Now, I was pulling for the Lakers to win mostly because I wanted them to do it for Kobe Bryant, who, as you know, passed away in January. January, February, in a helicopter accident. So yeah, I wanted them to do it for Kobe and Gigi and everyone on that helicopter. But I was also kind of back and forth about LeBron getting his next ring because I knew this debate was going to come up again. I just, I knew it. And I do want to call in some help. And what I mean is... This is a reference I guarantee you, you didn't expect from a 22-year-old kid. I'm going to call in Schoolhouse Rock. I got six. That's all there is. Yes, today's conversation revolves around the number six. So I've got a few fun facts about the number six in the debate between LeBron James and Michael Jordan that I want to read to you right now. The number six was LeBron James's number in Miami because the number 23 was retired by the Miami Heat because of Michael Jordan. He's one of the only, if not the only, player in NBA history to have his number retired by a team he didn't play for. So that's why LeBron wore number six when he was with the Heat. Six is the number of finals Michael Jordan appeared in in the 90s. Could have been eight if he didn't step away from base or step away from basketball for baseball. But he played in six finals. 
And that means six is the number of finals Michael Jordan won in the 90s. He went 6-0, and as a matter of fact. Six is the number of finals MVPs Michael Jordan If you do the math, he appeared in six finals, that's six finals MVPs. Six is the number of finals LeBron James has lost. He is four and six in ten NBA Finals appearances. Because one of the talking points in LeBron's favor is the fact that he's gotten to 10 finals and Michael Jordan only got to six. But the difference here is Michael Jordan won all six. LeBron has lost as many NBA finals as Michael has won. So this was a really fun segment here because I wanted to bring in Schoolhouse Rock. But the number six is imperative to the debate between Michael Jordan and LeBron James, the greatest basketball player of all time. But you've seen how it ties in here. I've got more things from Michael Jordan with the number six than LeBron James. And if you've listened to the show for long enough, you'll know I still stand by that Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player of all time. And if you've watched The Last Dance and still think LeBron James is the greatest basketball player of all time, do yourself a favor and watch The Last Dance because Michael's the GOAT. And I'll be honest, I'm not sure if there should be a debate. But I'm doing this in six divided by two minutes. In this three minutes, I just told you why. I think Michael Jordan's the GOAT. And again, I'm really glad I could work in a Schoolhouse Rock reference here because this is really fun to have in the background. So that's where I'm at with LeBron versus Michael. And I want to look at something Nick Wright said on FS1 this week. And he had a video, but I paused the video because I want to see. He was arguing in favor of LeBron James. And he called it what the media doesn't want you to know about Michael Jordan. So here's his case against Michael Jordan. Now, I'm going to go point by point here. I like Nick Wright. I really do. But he's dead wrong on this. His first point is a total loser without Pippen. Okay. LeBron was a total loser without Kyrie Irving, and in this case, Anthony Davis, and in the other case, Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh. Number two. Never once beat Larry Bird. Okay. Michael was a young player in the 80s while Larry Bird was an experienced veteran who had a really good team around him, arguably the second or third best team of all time in the 85-86 Celtics. Number three, could never beat a super team. And this one made me laugh because back then there were no super teams because that was not a thing. Guys didn't call each other up and say, hey, let's play on the same team. So... That goes to the different eras. I'm probably backing myself into a corner with this point, but super teams weren't a thing back then. But at the same time, he did beat Stockton Malone. He did beat Patrick Ewing and the New York Knicks, who were really good, as a matter of fact. But I digress. Point number four, the East was terrible. Well, guess what, Nick? The East is still terrible. There's a reason I'm sitting here saying that the Bulls are a playoff team, and they would have been if they had a proper coach this past year, because the East is so bad. The East is bad. So the argument that Michael ran through the East 
that doesn't hold water because the East is still bad. LeBron played the Western Conference this year and beat the Miami Heat in the NBA Finals. Anyone want to tell me what conference the Heat play in? Finally, number five. This one made me laugh. Everyone won rings on Michael Jordan's watch. He had a, there, let, me, let me pull up this graphic for you. Who won rings on Michael Jordan's watch? Well, for starters, obviously Larry Bird did. And the bad boy Pistons. And I'm, the graphic's not loading here. But the point stands, like, Michael needed to come into his own to be the GOAT. Like, you're not just the GOAT overnight. I mean, no one, no one has said that Michael Jordan came out of nowhere in the 90s and lit it up. He didn't just play six years. No, he had a long career. And, again, I, I really think that you can't go point by point like this against Michael Jordan and LeBron James. Because I just told you the, the arguments against each one of them. I have... So here's who won titles under Michael Jordan's watch. Larry Bird, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Magic Johnson. Okay, you're talking about three of the top ten greatest players of all time. Right there. And I think Kareem's in the top three, no doubt. Isaiah Thomas, Hakeem Olajuwon, Clyde Drexler. Shaq, Kobe, Tim Duncan, and David Robinson. Those last ones get me because Shaq and Kobe didn't win. They're both in Laker uniforms here. And if you if you know your history, you know that Jordan retired in 98. That's not on his watch. <laughs> that one just makes me angry. And you got to remember the years Michael took off. I guarantee you. I, I would put all the money in my pocket. I think it's all $2. But either way, point stands. I bet all the money in my pocket that Michael Jordan and the Bulls would have won eight straight titles if Michael didn't step away to play baseball. So, Nick Wright, you're not right in this case. Michael Jordan's the GOAT. There's no changing my mind. I don't care if it's hometown bias. You can call me out for whatever, but... I said what I said. I stand by what I said. If you want to disagree, tweet me. I will go. I will. I will talk all day about this debate. All right. Let's move on to the Loyola Ramblers real quick before I get to some football. You know, I got 20 minutes left. I'm operating like this is a live show with the same time constraints. So thank you for still listening. If you are Missouri Valley Conference preseason poll came out this week, and it's very weird. This is the first poll in three years that I haven't voted in. So it was very weird seeing it come out and not having a vote in it. Loyola was picked second in the 10-team league. Northern Iowa was picked first with 30 first-place votes. Bradley got a first-place vote, and they were picked third. But Loyola was picked second. Now, I'm old enough to remember that back in 2018, Loyola brought back most everybody, they did lose a big star in Milton Doyle. But they brought back most everybody to the starting lineup, had some stud freshmen come in, and they ended up going to the Final Four. Well, once again, 
Loyola's picked second in the preseason poll. They bring back the entire starting lineup from last year. In fact, they bring back all but one rotational piece, and Bruno Skotna didn't play that much. I'd have picked Loyola to finish first over Northern Iowa, but I can see why Northern Iowa was picked first, because they have the returning player of the year in A.J. Green, who's just a beast. Plus, they've got Austin Fife, they've got Trey Burhow. They're loaded. That said, I would have picked Loyola first, and Northern Iowa second. Either way, and Greg Lansing made this point, Indiana State's coach. I can see the Valley being a two-bid league this year, assuming all goes as planned. Everything I'm saying right now is contingent on the season going somewhat as planned. But I could see a two-bid Valley this year, and I'd be so down for it. I tweeted the the gif of uh, George Costanza in Seinfeld going, I am down! I am totally down! Because that's me. That's exactly my reaction. I am so down for a two-bid Valley. It would be amazing for the league to get back to two bids. Because since Wichita State and Creighton left, Valley hasn't had two bids. They should have in 2017, but Illinois State got totally hosed. So I could see Loyola and Northern Iowa going to the dance this year, assuming there is a dance and everything. Preseason All-NBC teams, obviously Cameron Crutwig's on the first team. That was a given. I mean, he's got to be in conversation for player of the year now that he's a senior, assuming he can develop a jump shot, which I've said for the last couple of years has been his Achilles heel, is he can't make a mid-range. But if he can develop a jumper... Kid's going to be unreal, more than he already is. And then on the third team, Tate Hall and Marquise Kennedy were both voted there. Lucas Williamson, notably off the list, but the guys on this list are making the flashy plays and the highlight plays, and Lucas plays lockdown defense, which doesn't really show up on the stat sheet as much. So it makes sense why Lucas was left off. That said, don't sleep on Lucas Williamson this year because he can torch you on the offensive end as well. This is going to be a big year for Loyola. And now I get to watch as an alum, assuming I don't land a job covering the team somewhere. Which, if anyone wants to hire someone to cover college basketball in town, uh, hit hit my line. Like, call me up. I'm, I'm still looking for a full-time job here. But I digress, now that I've got my PSA out of the way. Big year ahead for the Valley. And next year could be big, too, because the NCAA voted this week that winter sports will get another year of eligibility. Now, I say this with an important side note here, a sidebar. This is all up in the air right now. This was just voted on. We don't know how scholarship limits are going to be impacted. We don't know when guys are going to make their decisions to come back. We don't know what could happen here. But, and I even, I even tweeted this, just think about the fact that we could have another year of Lucas Williamson, Cameron Crutwig, Elijah Childs, Tyree Key, Gage Prim, Trey Burhow, Lucas Williamson, Tate Hall. Holy cow. Plus, assuming this goes as I think it will, you'll get the freshmen coming in, and there are some stud freshmen around the valley. I'm looking at Southern Illinois and Loyola especially. Plus, some transfers that are sitting out this year, or in one case for Southern Illinois, not sitting out since Stephen Verplanken got his, his waiver. He's active this year. 
this year is going to be good for the Valley, I feel like, assuming all goes as planned. But next year, if this ruling works out and these guys decide to stick around, whoo, I'm excited. I'm already, I'm, I, I like looking forward to it. And I know uh, Matt Rensler, one of my loyal Loyola followers, so shout out, Matt. Uh, he even re he replied to my tweet about that, saying, not sure about this, if they play the whole year. Don't get me wrong, it'd be a huge advantage for senior heavy teams this year. But would they be giving schools extra scholarships? Loyola has a lot of seniors this year, presumably already planning to fill those spots. Well, I have a feeling the NCAA is going to waive the scholarship limit. Like they did for fall sports, they're going to kind of change things a little bit. There's still a lot up in the air with this. But, like I said in my, in my reply to... To Matt, I like what-ifs. I'm always down for a good what-if. So this year's going to be fun for the Valley. And again, assuming, barring the unforeseen, I'll be here talking about it every Sunday. I'm going to have a lot of college basketball coverage planned like I did last year. And it's going to be fun. Because I like mid-major basketball. I hope you love mid-major basketball as much as I do because it's way better than the NBA. And even better than some of the big colleges. But it's going to be good. And I'm looking forward to interacting with everybody on Twitter. I'll be watching from home, probably, depending on situations. But we'll see. All right, I got 10 minutes left here. Let's talk Bears. Because kickoff's in 10 minutes. Obviously, I keep saying it. The podcast is dropping after the game starts. I'm operating as if this is a normal show. So what I would do is I would take you up to kickoff. Well, that's what I'm going to do here. I'm going to build up to kickoff with a little preview and put the asterisk there that this wasn't live because of technical difficulties. So after a mini-bye week, as it's called, after we played on Thursday night and beat the Buccaneers, which I still can't believe, Bears are playing the Panthers today at noon in Carolina. That's probably a good thing that they're not at home because the weather sucks. And the Bears, last I checked, I want to, I want to check this right now. Again, we're 10 minutes before kickoff. Are the Bears still point and a half underdogs? Because they were. And yet, yeah, they still are. They're still point and a half dogs to beat the Panthers today. And I, I disagree with that. Because I think they're going to win. Especially if the offense going to show up, which would be nice. I think the Bears have a really, really, really good chance to win today. If they play like they did in the second half against Tampa Bay. Now, you can't really use the Tampa Bay game as a barometer. Because Thursday Night Football sucks. It's bad. It's bad football. they got to play better than they did the last Sunday game they played against Indianapolis. Which really ticked me off. But if they can play their game, and they can play their game well, I think they can beat the Carolina Panthers today. And some I saw this point on Twitter today. It's all going to come down to the pass rush. How's the pass rush going to impact things? Well, an important note here. Khalil Mack wasn't on the Bears injury report this week for the first time this year. Think back to the monster game he had against Brady and the Buccaneers last week. Tom Brady was scrambling in the pocket more than I've seen him scramble in a long time. And it's because Khalil Mack was right in his face. If he can do that again, and the defense can do that again, this is a statement game. 
This is to show, okay, the Bears are legit. They're 4-1 right now, but they're not getting any national respect. I mean, they're point-and-a-half underdogs at the Carolina Panthers. Now, don't get me wrong. The Panthers are not a bad team. The Bears should not be point-and-a-half underdogs against them. If anything, it should be flipped. The Bears should be two-point favorites, in my opinion. So I think the Bears are going to win the day, win, win today. And Nick Foles could ball out. This is the first time he's been playing a kind of eh defense in a full game. I don't count the Falcons game. Because the Falcons were coached by Dan Quinn, who finally got fired, by the way. Took long enough. Been calling for his firing now for a couple of years. And it finally happened. So I don't count the Falcons game. The Bucks secondary is actually pretty good. The Colts secondary is still considered one of the top in the league. I still think they're fake. Go back to the podcast last week to hear my thoughts on that one. Last week, week before. Either way, go listen to the podcast. I I think he steps up today. And very curious to see how the offense looks. Because Tariq Cohen's out for the year. Didn't really get to see a lot of changes against Tampa Bay. And again, it just wasn't a very good football game. That didn't help. But I think the Bears win today. I'm going to put 24-17 to 17 on the total. I think that's what's going to happen. And we'll see. Again, this is dropping after kickoff. But you can hear my preview this way to hear if I'm right or wrong. Then you can use it against me for freezing cold takes. But it should be a good game today. I'm excited. I'm, I'm glad they're playing on Sunday again because it is very weird when I usually take you up to kickoff and instead have to recap a Thursday night game. Like, I like previewing better than recapping on the show because it's what I'm used to. <laughs> I'm used to previewing the game, taking you up to noon kickoff, etc., etc. So I'm glad that's back today. And it would have been back if I was live, but technical errors, again, I, I think it was operator error. It could have been me. It probably was me because <laughs> that's the story of my week. But I'm really glad I could make the podcast happen. But a lot going on. And I, I think if the Bears go 5-1, and one, I really think they will, playoff chances are going through the roof. And I, I really hope the national sports guys take notice and start putting some respect on the Bears because I listened to the tail end uh, uh, with the new morning show on ESPN Radio with Jay Williams and Keyshawn Johnson. And I can't, I can't remember the third guy for the life of me, but that's because I don't really listen. I catch the tail end before Cap and Jay Hood in the mornings. But there's not a lot of respect on the Bears from a national perspective. Maybe I'm super optimistic because I'm a meatball fan from Chicago and they're my team. But if they're 5-1, and one, there better be some more respect on this team. And... What's also reassuring is the fact that Matt Nagy, after the Buccaneers game, said he wasn't happy with the offense, even though they're 4-1. Like, he's he's still not pleased with how the offense is going, and it's on him. I don't know if he said that, but I'm saying it's on him. Not entirely, but his play calling hasn't been ideal. Hopefully he steps it up a little bit against Carolina. That'd be nice. But the fact that he came out and said he wasn't pleased with the offensive performance was very reassuring because it tells you he's noticing. 
and he's not ignoring, at least to the media. Like sometimes, sometimes Matt can get very positive. And I, I like it about him, but I hate it about him. I hate when he gets too positive. Like they beat a team they shouldn't have beat and he's upbeat. Like, oh, Mitch did this, Mitch did that. Well, Mitch didn't do very well. But seeing him come out and be brutally honest was very reassuring as a Bears fan. So I hope the offense takes that to heart and steps it up against Carolina. Because, again, they can make a statement today. Everybody loves Teddy Bridgewater. And I do think Teddy Bridgewater's going to have a decent game. But I really and truly think Bears win 24-17, go to 5-1. and one, And let's look ahead a little bit longer to next week. That uh, the Bears will play... And, oh my gosh, we're already going to be at week seven. This is week six this week. Is that crazy? Oh, is that the Bears bye week? No, it's Monday Night Football. That's right. Bears have the Rams Monday night next week. That's another big game. It's prime time. So, again, they can make the statement today. Go into prime time next week on Monday Night Football and make another statement. I could easily see that happening. We could be talking about a 6-1 team. We really could. And again, I'm not saying the, the Panthers or the Rams are bad. But I, if the offense can fire on all cylinders, and hearing Nick Foles and seeing him talk to Matt Nagy as, what's the word, as animated as he was, I think the offense could really get going today. And that could build some momentum going forward. It's going to come down to Nagy's play calls, no doubt about it. And Nick needs to quit running. He's not Mitch. He can't use his legs. If this offense can play to its full potential, I could see 6-1 and one by the end of next week. But then again, I'm just a meatball fan. They could, they could be what they're 4-1 out. They could be 4-3. Who knows? Anything can happen with this team. They're unpredictable. But point and a half underdogs against Carolina. That, that blew my mind when I saw that. Even this morning. I saw that, and I, I figured by game time it'd be pick them. But if the offense shows up like it can, and probably should, against a Carolina defense that's dealing with some injuries, they're going to cover the spread. I think they're going to win outright. Again, my prediction is 24-17, to 17, and kickoff is two minutes from right now when I'm recording this, because no live show. I'm pre-recording like it's a live show just because I wanted to talk about a lot. But yeah, 24-17 is going to be the final. Bears are going to move to 5-1, and one, get some more respect nationally. That's the big thing. I mean, I keep hearing about their fake. They're not their worst 4-1 team in history. I saw a meme. I don't know. I'm just learning about this game. But if anyone's played the game Among Us and the imposter, they said there's an imposter among us and the Bears are the imposter. In the meme. Like, that's funny. First of all. Second of all, it shows you where the national media is coming from with their perspective on the Bears. So I think a win today would be huge in that regard. Because my attitude is and will be 4 and 1 is 4 and 1, whether they should have won those games or not. And 5 and 1 would be 5 and 1. That's where I'm coming from. And whenever I say that, people don't disagree with me. And that's because, yeah, you want to be 4-1 or 5-1. Like, 
Should they necessarily be won four games? No. Should they necessarily be four and one? Probably not. But they are. So I love making this reference. As the Steve Miller band once said, take the money and run. And if they're five and one today, shut up about, oh, worst five and one team in history. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Because I'd like to be I'd like them to be five and one. That'd be cool with me. And if you're gonna start nitpicking, stop it. Like, if you're a Bears fan and you're nitpicking a four and one or five and one record, quit being skeptical. Your team's doing well. Enjoy it. Enjoy the ride. And hope they keep it up. I don't I will never root for my team to lose. Unless they're tanking, but that's a completely different situation. I'm out of time. Because kickoff's coming up. So thank you for listening to the podcast. Obviously, like I said, no live show made things a little weird, but I wanted to keep things normal for my sake because I wanted to get everything off my chest. So thank you for listening to this whole thing if you did. And next week I'll hopefully be live again. Hopefully we've got everything figured out. But until then, stay safe, stay healthy, wear a mask, bear down, kickoff's coming up. Again, big thank you for dealing with the technical difficulties if you were looking for the live show and listening to the podcast. And next week I'll have a podcast up, hopefully a live show to go with it. So talk to you next Sunday, everybody.